Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth McGovern in a new film by John Hughes. It's been 48 hours since our last coalition. My temperature's optimum. I'm ovulating. I have the pillow set up in the position. You can watch TV if you get bored. Here's to successful fertilization. She's having a baby. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily, and this week we're going to be closing out with the final album track from Kate Bush's album, The Sensual World. It's going to be a bit of a monster of an episode because this is one of her biggest songs. This week we're going to be talking about this woman's work. Great God, you can go. track from the lovely Kate Bush. This week we're talking about a pretty big hit song from our lovely British songstress. And this week we're talking about this woman's work. So as always, I am your host, Cecily, and I do want to apologize up front about how late this episode is coming out. I'm recording this a couple of days before it goes out to you guys recording this in the first few days of June 2021. I had planned to put this out almost three months ago. I was going on a trip in early March and I was going to put out Rocket's Tail and then set this up to go out the week after and that ended up not happening because a couple of months ago I started to go through a major burnout with my job. I have a job where I'm helping people over the phone all day, and as much as I enjoy helping people, I've been very stressed about my job to the point that when I'm done, I just don't want to do anything, and this is the first time that I've felt a lot of this kind of burnout, and so I've been trying to deal with it as best as I can. And I've had in the back of my head that, oh, yes, I need to make sure that I get done with the episode for this woman's work. Like I knew that that was still left to be done, but I just didn't have the energy. I just couldn't do it. And I am just now coming out of it with my job. I'm now on part time. So that's been helping a lot. <laughs> it's been helping that I'm just doing stuff in the morning. And then the afternoon, I have more time. I have a couple other little jobs that I'm doing as well. And it gives me the energy to get back into my podcasting. So I just wanted to apologize for how late this is coming out. I was honestly hoping to be done with the sensual world by the summer, but that's ended up not happening. Um, 
So this is coming out to you guys this week. And then in two weeks, we're going to start the B-sides and collaborations. I already have an episode for Walk Straight Down the Middle. I have that in the can. I just need to edit it. And I do need to contact some other folks for some of the other B-sides from the sensual world season. So it's good for me getting back into this because I've been just so burned out and tired that I just have, I've been like, oh, I can't do it. Oh, I just want to just like sitting like a bump on a log. Like if you've ever been through burnout, you probably understand a little what I'm talking about. But don't worry, we're still going on with the project. I mean, I'm already more than halfway through this project and I need to see this through to the end because for someone like me, maybe some of you all can relate to this. I have a slight ADD. So sometimes I have a tendency to start things and then leave them behind. And I cannot do that with this one. I don't. Like Kate deserves for me to go through all of them and and going through all of her songs. And I can't abandon this. I don't want to abandon this. That's the important part. I don't want to abandon this. Definitely not. So again, I'm sorry. Really, really sorry for this coming out so late. But at least it's better late than never. You know, there, there you go. So, whew, all right, now that that's out of the way, hey, okay, now we're going to go on to the actual song discussion. I recorded this a couple of months ago. It was right before the burnout happened, and I got to speak with a Kate fan who has been on the show before, and he's also provided background music uh, occasionally on some of my episodes. We're going to be talking with another American fan like me. His name is Paul Tate. You might remember he's been on the show before. And he's also provided music and he is another super music person like me. So when we get together and we're talking about Kate, we go into the chord progressions and all the musical theory stuff about just what makes the song so special. And as I was listening back to this, as I was editing, because I mean, basically when I edit, I listen to the whole interview and I'm cutting out any of the ums and ohs and the silences or moving some things around like, oh, no, we suddenly got a little off topic and this thing is going to go at the end and blah, blah, blah. But as I was listening through this and editing it, there are we get into especially the music theory on this song. I mean, this woman's work is one of Kate Bush's most well-known songs, I think. I mean... I was, there are a couple of songs that I knew in her catalog that I was feeling a little intimidated to even talk about because there's just so much and it means so much to so many different people, of course, yours truly. And this was one of them. Like when I, the first episode kind of like this was Wuthering Heights back in the first season because, well, that's the song that started it all. And then I felt a little intimidated too. When I got to Running Up That Hill, because, again, that's one of her most well-known songs. It's been covered by so many people. It's been used all over media. And the same with this song. This song has been covered, as we'll get to talk about with Paul Tate. This song has, I mean, speaking of media, I mean, this was even written for a movie, (laughs) as we'll also get to talk about, that this song was written specifically for a movie called She's Having a Baby. And it was also used recently in an episode of The Handmaid's Tale. 
Quite a bit of Kate's music has been used in the series. I'm personally, I haven't watched through the whole series, but I've seen the clips where her music has been used. I know I need to watch it, but there, there's so much out there, so much out there. So I was a little intimidated to even start talking about this song. So I thought, my God, where do we even start? I mean, there's so much. I mean, there's how how Kate Bush came up with this song. There's what the lyrics mean. It's her the viewpoint that she takes in this song. I mean, hey, spoiler alert. This is one of her opposite gender songs. So she's singing as not a woman, but she's singing as the opposite gender. I mean, there's just so much. So without further ado, let's get into this fun discussion that I had about this woman's work with Paul Tate. Here we go. And with me to talk about this song this week is someone who's been on the show before, and he's a music person like me, so we always end up talking about music stuff. I've got the she music for this song in front of me, and I'm sure that this guy does. Our guest this week is none other than... Paul Tate. Da-da-da-da-da! With your own fanfare. (laughs) Everybody should come with your own fanfare, you know? No charge for the fanfare. <laughs> How are you, Seth Lee? I'm pretty good. We're recording. This is actually the first episode that I've recorded. I'm recording for 2021, and we're already two days into it. And it seems pretty good. Hopefully by the time this comes out that, you know, we'll be getting into the year and we'll we'll see that okay hey this is going pretty well so far how about you how are you it's been a while since we've talked yeah it's doing pretty well i'm hoping that um by the time this airs the virus will have gone away or that we'll have a good sense of the vaccines and what it's going to do but yeah yeah it's good to hear your voice it's been a while i know i think the last time you were on was for I believe it was Hello Earth. That's right, from Hounds of Love. Yep. Yep. So we're going to be talking about this week, or we're talking about one of Kate Bush's most famous songs, and one that I, oh God, every time, if if I watch The Voice or some other TV music show, and somebody says they're going to do this song, they always say, oh, I'm going to do, insert name of other person's, this woman's work and I always have to yell at the TV like excuse me excuse me my lady did it first excuse me that's right (laughs) Kate is the original and the best indeed so what is your personal history with this song what what about this woman's work makes it one of your favorite songs because I've got a bit of a history with it myself so let's start off with you what do you what's your history with this song Sure. I think I first heard it um, kind of caught by surprise when I saw she's having a baby. I was in college and the year was 1988. And when it came to that really emotional scene and I, I heard that beautiful piano riff, I was like, oh, what's this? And then, of course, you know, her, her famous tones came in with the aha. And I knew it had to be Kate.
I was captivated from the very beginning. I just think it's um, that it was such a beautiful moment in that film. Um, were you even alive in 1988, Cecily? <laughs> <laughs> I was. Actually, believe it or not, I was. I know I don't look like I was because if you've ever seen me in real life, you're like, people still think I'm in my 20s. And they go, Pah! 10 years ago, bud. <laughs> um, I was. I was I was quite young. I was three years old in 1988. When did you finally see She's Having a Baby? I actually saw that in college because I was starting to get into Kate's music at that time. And we've talked before, like, college was the time when I was starting to get more into female singer-songwriters. Uh, first it was Tori, and then I started slowly getting into Kate's music. And now Kate has stuck with me longer than Tori has. Um, sure. Very yeah. long story on that one and why. And... I heard that this song was done for She's Having a Baby. And I had vaguely heard of the movie before because I I used to watch a lot of John Hughes movies. But that when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. but that one escaped me because I knew it wasn't about teenagers. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. I was I was I was watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off and uh, Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles. I Those things still resonated with me, even as a teenager in the early 2000s, because, I mean, teen angst has really no age. It's still like, oh, my God, no one understands me. <laughs> kind of thing. So I didn't even see She's Having a Baby until college, and I remember renting it from uh, some... It wasn't Blockbuster, but it was one of these, like, smaller independent video stores. Hey, kids, remember, there was a time before Netflix. Oh, wait, remember. <laughs> you wouldn't remember because you weren't alive. Um, and so I rented it from there, and I got to see, like, the context of this song because I'd heard this song before. I heard it on Flashback Alternatives. That's where I heard a lot of Kate's random songs before I... As I was starting to get into her music. But to actually see the context of the scene... As to how what well, what this yeah. song is supposed to go with, oh my god, the waterworks just turned right on. Like ah! this song still right. wrecks it, me. It, it's hard to believe. Apparently, uh, from the reading I've been doing, um, John Hughes finished that montage sequence and just gave it to Kate to mm -hmm. write a song uh, to. So I don't know. I mean, you know Kate's work um, better than I do. Had she done that kind of work before where she was to write a song to a particular visual? I don't believe so. You know, I was trying to, I was thinking about that before we started. And I think this is actually the first time that she's written something specifically for a movie and they give you the scene that it's supposed to go over. Right. I mean, obviously she had probably her videos in mind from her first couple of albums and matching music to movement. But this was, I think, the first time that she did that for someone else's um, visuals. And what a beautiful job she did. Um, just the little, you could tell the moments of the, the highs and lows of the song where she tried to match something that's on the screen. And I, I think she just did a fantastic job with mm -hmm. it. Yeah, she wrote this song specifically for that sequence. And it's from a man's viewpoint. And it just totally fits what she does. Writing from many well, different viewpoints. She, she loves to do that. Yeah, she loves to do that, right? Switch it up and um, crawl inside the, the mind of a man and um, and just paint it in the way that she does. And yet it's timeless too, Cecily, because mm -hmm. I think um, when you hear the Maxwell cover and some of the other covers that have been done, 
Um, <clears throat> I guess these emotions speak to both sexes equally. And um, But something about the way that Kevin Bacon uh, and his acting and then hearing Kate's voice kind of in the head of, Ke- of Kevin Bacon um, is just very special. So if you guys listening haven't seen the movie, um, you really need to experience it because it's, it's something pretty special. In, in her own video, she kind of recreates a, a similar mm-hmm. sort of setup and story. Now, why she felt the need to do that, I don't know, but maybe it's because Kate's always been so driven and, you know, kind of wanted it her way. Because she could have just used the montage from the film and it would have been a, a beautiful video. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually glad that she, really glad that she recreated it instead of just going for what could have, you're like, you're right. It could, would have been easy for her to just go, hey, can you just give me the montage here and I'll just put it over that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And the video she ended up creating um, is gorgeous in its own right. I mean, she, it's, it's probably the most beautiful she's ever looked on camera and it's just so simple with that grand piano um and then the way the story kind of follows with that one actor um through uh, him in the waiting room very similar to the film with kate kind of having that angelic presence um throughout it's beautiful Mm -hmm. the music video for this is one of my favorites from kate i mean i like a lot of her videos but especially that one as far as when you first heard it, I'm wondering what other Kate songs. See, I had already, I discovered her a few years earlier and listened to everything up to that point and became a, a mega fan at that mm-hmm. point. Had was this? Had you heard like just a handful of songs, or and did this one stand out as being different for, from the others for you in any way? I probably would have heard this on Flashback Alternatives when I was in early college. I was listening a lot to this online radio station. I don't know if it still exists, but it was run by a Canadian guy named DJ Ed, and it they play all sorts of underground, more unknown 80s music. Future Cecily punching in here. Yep, Flashback Alternatives still exists. Flashbackalternatives.com. Woo! Anyway, back to the show. And they had a lot mm-hmm. of Kate's music on there. And so I would have heard some of her other random songs. I know I would have heard Wuthering Heights by then. But also they but used to you play. You weren't already. Oh, but I was not already a fan. No. I was slowly oh, getting so into her music. The... Mm-hmm. I was slowly getting into her music, but I hadn't. It hadn't really, really hit me yet. And. I know I did hear this and I and I thought it was beautiful. I had no idea what the song was really about. I had no idea that it was written for a movie. I thought that I thought that her voice was really pretty and I liked how dramatic it was. And then a few years later when I started to get more into her music, like I got the whole story from a used CD store in Norfolk, Virginia, which unfortunately no longer exists like a lot of those kind of stores they've kind of died off in the last 20 years um but i got the whole story used from there and then i got the dreaming from an fye at macarthur center also in norfolk virginia uh, actually it was in the mall it's in the mall right across from what used to be that um that used cd store and slowly got into her music and then at one at some point i got a hold of the sensual world and so i started to hear the song more and I do remember this song standing out to me because I like I already liked how dramatic it was, 
but also that this song tears me up. I'm going to be honest. Like, it really, really makes me cry. <laughs> and I'm in, it's a, the last song of the album. And so every time I play this album, I get to this woman's work and I'm just like, I if I'm driving and I'm listening to it and I hear the, uh, I have to like pull over. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to start crying in about two seconds. I cannot drive. And I'm driving in the country now. I cannot have wet eyes pull over. And then I'll just start bawling. I just start crying. And it's because what, what really gets me now about this song are the last lines about and all the things I should have said that I never said, all the things we should have done that we never did. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right. It just it breaks your heart. And it's, it's one of those songs where, at least for me, it can't be a background thing. I uh-uh. have to really. No, 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 no. Just as soon as I hear those opening chords, I just get pulled in. You know, I, I, I remember the vid, the movie and the video. And, and then I start thinking about it in my own life and how it applies to me and um, it, uh, everything else has to turn off. You know, I have to just be inside this woman's work. Yeah, I can't put it on in the background either because it's it's just so like like with like for, for like how it is for you. This woman's work is just demanding. I'm like, no, 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 no. I gotta sit and like listen <laughs> to what she has to say, and end up you know a bawling mess on the floor by the end. But <laughs> it's just. <laughs> Because it's just it just hits well, you, oh my God! And, it, and when you pair it with the movie and the montage that's supposed to go over, where he's showing, it's all flashbacks of them in happier times, and you're just, oh my God! And I I wonder, I mean, it resonates and speaks obviously to both of us, but and I think it went on the UK charts. I think it went up to twenty five, but I wonder why in America it didn't. Did it charge in America? No, it didn't. I mean, Kate's mm. Kate has never really chart never charted very much in America. There have been there have been three times that I can think of that she's charted. Um, the first time was actually the man with the child in his eyes was way down the charts, reached number eighty eight or eighty nine, I believe, and then mm-hmm. running up that hill was a top forty hit, um, but charted yep. pretty high on the college charts. And then Love and Anger reached number one on the Modern Rock chart and was notable because she was the first woman to do so. And looking at the charts for that week, yeah, it was pretty much a man's world. It was a man's world. Um, But no, this one was never released as a... It also wasn't released as a single in the U.S. either. Um, It was... I mean, actually, it was released as a 7-inch single, a 7-inch picture disc single, a 12-inch single with a poster sleeve, a cassette single, and a CD single. And then in Germany, a 3-inch CD single was also released. And in all formats... Yeah, I don't have I three inch. Oh my goodness, that's tiny. Seen, yeah, I haven't seen that one. I, I own most of the other ones. Um, but you would think if she was just doing a lot of press at that time. And I remember being uh, in college and seeing her like as a as a rising star in America because I wasn't aware of. You know, I just become aware of all the success she had had overseas. Um, and then for the record company to not release it in our country just kind of surprising mm-hmm. well i i agree that that it was surprising that they didn't there with her record company i i mean i'm 
I'm kind of not surprised because Kate's never really been one to push the whole press kind of thing and like really try to make it big in America like a lot of Brit like a lot of other British artists. I mean, I wish she mm -hmm. had, but that's just not how she wanted to live her life. Although, I mean, I wish that they had released it here. I'm surprised that they didn't. Well, they released, um, was that Aspects of the Sensual World an American release? Is that yes. primarily where that one came? Because that did, it, this song was on there, right? Or was it not? Um, actually, Aspects of the Central World, yeah, it was a mini album released by Columbia Records in the U.S. and by Capitol Records in Canada in 1990. It actually only had the Central World be kind of my mistakes. The I'm still waiting, Ken, and an instrumental of the Central World. Hmm. So it didn't even make it on there. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, it took someone like Maxwell to just kind of bring it to the whole world's attention, I guess. Actually, well, actually, since you mentioned Maxwell, do we want to go into, like, cover versions or... Sure. There are so many of them. <laughs> oh, my... Yeah, I'm looking here at Kate Bush Encyclopedia. I mean, there's even people here I've never even heard of. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, Gwyneth Paltrow was covered this. I'm going to have to track, track that one down. And future Cecily punching in again here to say that, yes, Gwyneth Paltrow sang a version of this woman's work for a compilation called Every Mother Counts. It was a charity compilation album released as a companion piece to a 2010 documentary called No Woman No Cry, released on Starbucks Hear Music label. And here it is. I know you have a little life in you yet. I know you have a lot of strength left. I know you have a little I know you have a lot of strength left I should be crying but I just can't let it show I should be hoping but I can't stop thinking All the things I should have said that I've never said All the things we should have done that we never did All the things I should have given collective oh the oh you you and i you had sent me a link to it on um in messenger that this was recorded for uh by the gothenburg symphony orchestra in gotham gothenburg sweden for a uh 40th anniversary tribute to kate bush and this song was covered on that um yeah, by uh abramson and it, it's gorgeous it's it really is and Really, it's a beautiful version. Give me these moments back. Give them back to me. Give me a 
and one of my other favorite, one of my other favorite singers, and I sent you a link to her singing this live, is Charlotte Martin. Charlotte Martin has sung this one live a lot. Um, she's also actually my vocal teacher. We have vocal lessons over Skype, and she she's been influenced a little bit by Kate. She was she would listen to a lot of her music, and she's also uh, Charlotte has recorded versions of this woman's work, Cloud Busting, which is one of my favorite Kate covers from her, and also Running Up That Hill. It's great to have a, a wonderful voice teacher like that mm. <clears throat> who loves Kate as well. <laughs> yeah, the most famous version is the Maxwell version. What are what are your thoughts on that version? I was never um, well. I wasn't aware of his work before he did this um, apparently unplugged concert on MTV, from which they pulled the the single version, I guess. And I, I went and watched the video before we talked because I felt like I needed to at least have seen it. And it was, as, as R&B videos go, it was pretty interesting. And um, his style, I mean, what an instrument he has to work with. His voice is incredible. Um, so the performance is unique. He makes some note changes that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, but it, I'm so grateful that he did it because he did bring Kate to a lot of probably a, a different fan base who wasn't even aware of who she was. I did the same thing as you. Um, I looked him up online and, and everything and listened to it. And he definitely gives it a, because he's more of an R&B singer. So he, he puts his own flavor to it. And 
I agree with you. There are a couple of things that he did that I don't quite agree with, but it's also a stylistic thing because I'm not super into R&B music, but I am glad that, I mean, at least more people know about her music through him, although they need to credit her properly and not say that this song was by <laughs> him when you're going on The Voice. Hello. You're right. Yeah. Um, that's funny. That that reminds me of a side story. I don't know if you watched any of the um, Ringing in the New Year shows. Mariah Carey appeared on one of them. And they were talking about her huge hit, All I Want for Christmas is You. And uh, I forget who the presenter was, but someone was asking her about, how do you feel about um, being the singer of this song that's amazing? And she stopped him and she said, I am the songwriter of this song. Um, so it, it makes me just think about what you said, how important it is to credit those who write the music, um, not only those who sing it, but those who help really, they birthed it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so absolutely, you're right. Because when I searched on the Maxwell one, I kind of had to dig to see that it was written by Kate Bush, but it, it was there eventually. But we shouldn't have to dig, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he actually, in his version, one other thing I'd say about that is he, he changed a couple of the words, I guess, to kind of make it from the point of view. He even says, I'll stand outside this woman's work um, instead of I stand. I, I don't know why he felt the need to do that. Because, like I said, these, these emotions that are in here that she writes about are, are so universal. Um, mm -hmm. And it was only, really, if you haven't seen the film, you may not even be aware that it's from the point of a man, necessarily. Um, <clears throat> although in the first verse, she does have the, the double use of the word father. Um, but one, I'm assuming, meaning uh, the man who helped create the child and then God the father. Because when she sings in her video... On that second father, she looks up to the skies. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk about the lyrics a little bit? Like what? Yeah, sure. Um, what you love about them? Yeah. I actually, looking at the lyrics, I actually had no idea that the second word was supposed to be this woman's world, because I thought she was just repeating this woman's, this woman's work, this woman's work. I, I had no idea it was supposed to be this woman's world, but mm, yeah, that kind of makes, that kind of makes sense. Cause to me, I think of, um, you know, I've never had children and another part of this song, what, what hits me too is that um, this kind of brings me back actually to the seven years that I spent trying to get pregnant and nothing ever mm. happened. And I would listen to this and it may, it would, and not only would it make me cry because I'm thinking of the, you know, all the things we should have said that we never said, all the things we should have done we never did, but also like that part also resonated on a different level and like also this woman's world and made me think of, like that I'm a woman I and part of my world is supposed to be having a child and I can't even seem to do that properly. And mm. I mean, that no longer, obviously that no longer hits me effectively in the same way and I've moved on from it. Um, but I, I also, I find it interesting. Oh, it's hard on the man. Now his part is over. 
now starts the craft of the father. I think that's 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 something that I don't think a lot of people really talk about in that yes, the woman is the one who carries the child, but then oh yeah, the man's life is going to change too because now maybe he's not going to be able to go out with his friends all the time. He's going to be at home, he's going to be taking care, he's going to be learning to to change diapers and checking the color of the baby's poops and things like that like doing all the things you do when you're taking care of i also work as an over-the-phone like medical interpreter and so i have to talk about that stuff sometimes with babies when people are coming in for postpartum appointments and uh that yeah it's also hard on the man because he did his thing he laid a seed and now, oh, wait, now we're going to I'm helping to bring this being into the world. And now my life is going to change, too. I'm standing outside this woman's work, this woman's world. Ooh, it's hard on the man. Now his part is over. Now starts the craft of the fall. In so many ways, it just seems like women got the raw deal there because it doesn't yeah. take much for the man. But um, but then I guess have, having not experienced um, birthing a child like that, I can only imagine how the woman must go through so many beautiful um, and trying emotions during the nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I see it with my friends. Like my friends who have kids, I see that with my friends who have kids. Cause I mean, like you, I've never, I've never had children. And at this point I, I won't be having children. I just have my cats. They're my fur babies. They eat, they sleep, they poop, they vomit. <laughs> they might as well be children. Uh, yes. But I can see that with my friends. Uh, when my friends were starting to get pregnant and I would notice the changes they were going through. Lots of morning sickness or a lot of just random crying. Um, them getting the getting the room ready for the baby and having the baby showers and it and it, it is a lot it's a lot for the woman too um yeah even just the physical changes and actually carrying that new life within you and how that changes you yeah you know? yeah and that's that's um, something that i kind of deal with with my job um i work as an over the phone medical interpreter and so sometimes i'm having to help women who are you know going to doctor's appointments and in sometimes in some cases helping them prepare for this very moment and it's it's definitely this song has given me even more of a perspective especially with with the job that i go through like on one point i could be helping somebody with just a regular customer service thing and then in another instance i'm helping somebody prepare for um for a c-section or something like that and it's wow it's it is it's a lot of emotions yeah um and the lyric actually takes a little bit of a shift after she talks about um the craft of the father and then i know you have a little light in you yet because apparently in the film we um we find out that the baby is in a breech uh, position. And so there's a danger with the birth. So she says, I know you have a lot of strength left. I know you have a little life in you yet. I know you have a lot of strength left. Mm-hmm. And she repeats those two lines. I know you have a little life in you yet. 
I should be crying, but I just can't let it show. You know, as a man, we feel like we have to be tough. Mm -hmm. I should be hoping, but I can't stop thinking. And then on the litany that you mentioned earlier, of all the things that I should have said and that I never said and all the things we should have done that we never did. Yeah, it's just like everything kind of hitting you at once when you're realizing yeah. kind of the gravity well, they, of the situation, and especially in reference to the film because of the danger of him losing his wife and the baby. And I think it's so powerful the way Kate, she changes her tone kind of in that section and the melody drops very low, whereas it had been sitting in a higher place. All of a sudden, we're down by low A flat, which is her lowest note of the song. Um, and fairly low for Kate, being more of a soprano. Um, and then she pops it way up and does kind of a modified version of that same note on I Should Be Crying, But I Just Can't Let It Show. It's kind of cool that she does. I hadn't thought about this. The way the melody pops up on the crying line. And in a way how, um, for a man, that would be very unlike us to want to, um, to whine and cry in that upper register. But uh, when she sings it, wow, it just, it just works. I know you have a little life in you yet I know you have a lot of strength left I should be crying but I just can't let it show I should be hoping but I can't stop thinking All the things I should have said that I never said All the things we should have done It's very effective because of when she's singing it, it does sound like crying because when, you, when you're crying, mm -hmm. you have your, your voice tends to go up real high and everything. Yeah, and then she brings it kind of to a close on uh, Make It Go with that deep chord on the B-flat minor, um, this first half of the song. Let's talk a little bit about the structure of the song. Yeah. It's unique. Um, and I think it's because of the film, and then we can return to the lyrics later. Um, because she's having to work with uh, a montage that was already created for her, the um, the first, it's not your typical verse, chorus, bridge kind mm -hmm. of uh, feel. In fact, even the first verse is um, loaded with meter changes. She goes from three to four, and then again from three to four, probably to accommodate images that were on the screen. Um there's one beautiful, I remember watching the video earlier this morning, uh, one beautiful moment in the montage where there's a, a tear that turns into a drop of blood. Um, the tear is on Kevin's face and then the drop of blood from Elizabeth McGovern uh, in the room, the operating room. And Kate tries to match things to that too. And it's just, it's beautiful the way she does it. But that means that the song has an unusual form. Um, even the climax of the first verse, after she says, um, all the things that I should have given. So five, four, 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 two, four. Definitely not a piece you would give to your beginning piano player. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> it's just kind of hard, kind of hard to count. But I think that it's all done to accommodate 
the visuals because she wanted everything to line up in a certain way. Um, yeah. And then she, she starts a second verse and it's much like the beginning. Um, but then it morphs into something different. The song really doesn't have a, a chorus or a bridge. I guess mm-hmm. you could say that that repeated motive on the high note is like a chorus, but um, but not a traditional one in any in any way. Um, I will say this too about the melody and and why the song I think has this incredible tension and how that works. If you, I know you've got the music there in front of you too. Mm-hmm. You look at all the slash chords where all these chords appear, but they're not in root position. Mm-hmm. All of them are in what's called first inversion. Um, so it's kind of unsettling until we get to that B flat minor, which is the first root position chord. And then she cycles through that over and over again. This comes from a, a period of Kate's writing where I think she started to... Um, to want to simplify her, her musicality. I don't know if it was the success of Hounds of Love that made her want to do this or not, but suddenly things are very much compressed and written in smaller chunks. Like this whole song is based on that little two-bar two chord progression um, that she occasionally varies from. And the fact that we're in the key of A-flat, but we never hear A-flat in root position. There's never a release of that tension. I I think that's what makes it so effective. You know, what do you think? No, I agree. And I'm, you're right because it's a flat C, (laughs) a flat slash C. So it is in the bass always. mm -hmm. So because you're not on the, the, the first note of the chord. And so it, it doesn't feel as resolved. No, actually you're right. You're, you're mentioning that about her, her music at this time that she seems to be doing stuff in just smaller chunks. I noticed that um, with love and anger because love and anger is based on nothing more than just cycling through B flat C and F and then occasionally F suspended too and some of these other things. So I think you're right. And, and I mean, she does end up going into a simpler territory on the next album on the red shoes because I've got the sheet music yeah, for rough, those songs rubber. as well. Yeah, like Rubber Band Girl basically has one or two chords. It's basically mm-hmm. just a dance jam on one or two chords. Um, and who knows? You know, maybe she was trying to be more commercial. I don't know. Because, um, you know, commercial radio likes like simple like that. Um, the other thing I would say that helps with the tension, Cecily, is that if you look at her melody, all the note, a lot of the notes don't fall within the chords. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I mentioned that we don't get the A-flat in root position, but she'll sing the A-flat against other chords, like on that opening riff. She holds that A-flat, which is home base, but she puts it against B-flat minor chord, so it's like B-flat minor 7. And even there, she doesn't linger. She does that C in a D-flat chord. Mm -hmm. Beautiful major 7 sound. Um, and she does that throughout the entire piece, like on the word um, father, which is so beautiful. She sings again the seventh, against that deep flat chord, and then the C again, which becomes the sixth in that E flat chord. So she's using all these exotic sounds that are not part of the, 
the cord themselves. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, she does that a lot in one of my other favorite songs, and Under the Ivy. Because um, in the oh, song yeah. Under the Ivy, it's in G minor, but she starts on F. So it's more like a G minor 7. <laughs> so you're like, ah! No, yeah. you're right in in that she does that. And oops, sorry, my keyboard starts randomly playing there. <laughs> um, no, I love that she does that, and that definitely helps with the tension on the song, with where you there's maybe just. Maybe she was going. Yeah, maybe she was going through a period because I know um, a period of that style because under the ivy would have been written just not too long before this because this one mm-hmm. was '88. So. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a beautiful effect. Let me see if there's a couple more examples of that. Um, but look at the very end for the last verse. I love when she goes um, after she says, "Give me that little kiss, give me your hand." If you look at that moment, she's trying so hard to resolve the the melody to the the A flat chord. <laughs> wanting to be home and yet the tension is still there mm-hmm. and that keeps up and builds all the way to the very final note when again she's singing the home bass note but the chord underneath it doesn't match and so that creates that magical kind of unusual sound we just don't hear that on the pop radio very often Mm-mm. I also wanted to mention, gosh, those whaley sounds that she does with her voice at the <gasps> end. Oh, so did, oh, oh. yeah. Right? And she adds, there seems to be, there's like some added vocals above it. Mm-hmm. I think she actually sings a high A flat um, with it right at that moment of, you know, it sounds like you might be giving birth. I mean, that it really sounds like she's painted that beautifully. Yeah, that part at the end... Um... That you mentioned with all the last time that she sings all the things you wanted from me, all the things I should have given, but I didn't. And she, yeah, she's got yeah. these really awesome stacked vocals above her. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you figured out what note because I, I'd always tried to figure out what notes she was singing up there. But then it, yeah. it was high. I think, yeah, I think it's the A flat. And then she includes the fifth as well, the E flat below it. And that's what creates the dissonance that we hear and then she sings a C I mean she just is really into the crunchy at that moment so cool mm-hmm. that part at the end when, when all the vocals start coming in behind her mm-hmm. for uh, the last time she sings of all the th- starting with of all the things we should have said but we never said all the things we should have done but we never did all the things you wanted from me, all the things you wanted from me, all the things that she given, but I didn't. And how like each time it's it's like it snowballs, like each time I can hear more and more layers of her voice coming in. That's the part that really, really gets me. It's just so emotional. And the fact that she's stacking her own voice creates that unique sound to begin with, let alone the fact that they're kind of tone clustering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it finally, 
Then when it finally releases, then you're just left with her single voice singing on that B flat minor nine. On the O, it's it's just amazing tone painting. It's just really well done. And speaking of the tone painting, you know, there's an arranger, uh, an orchestral arranger credited on this piece, Michael Kamen, with whom she's worked before and she will work with again on the next album. But I was trying to figure out what exactly he did, <laughs> because there's there's not really an orchestra per se. There's some low synth chords, um, but Kate usually does that kind of work on her own. So I don't know if there's a story there or if there once was a more elaborate orchestration that got taken away, because I know there's a few different mixes of this song. Um, there's the soundtrack original mix in 88, and then it was apparently remixed for the album release of Central World in 89. But the versions are remarkably similar, and neither of them have much orchestration. Were you able to find out anything about that? I was not. Like, the only kind of thing I can think of with with as far as the orchestra goes is that they probably just put it really low in the mix and i know there's something mm-hmm. under um the last time that she sings i should be crying but i just can't let it show there's like a da 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 which i don't think is her piano so my guess is maybe yeah it sounds like a synthesizer or something my guess is that maybe they had a more elaborate arrangement going for this song but then they decided nah let's kind of tone it down because we don't want way too much going although the when you do things for movies and i know this from uh one of my other favorites florence and the machine whenever she's had music whenever she's done songs for movies like uh, wish you were here from oh it's like mrs peregrine's home for peculiar children i I think that was the name of the movie. Yeah. I can't remember. The song was called Wish That You Were Here. And it's all like big and dramatic, lots of strings. And then her other song, uh, Breath of Life from uh, Snow White and the Huntsman was all big and dramatic and lots of strings. So maybe they had once had like a big, big thing for it. And then they decided, eh, let's kind of like pull it back a little. That's my guess. And I, that's my guess. Because Michael Kamen, he does such beautiful work. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to chat with you when you get to moments of pleasure, because that's his work um, on that. And I, his wiki, Pidia, uh, says that he actually did two more arrangements for Kate, and then he died. Um, there's two pieces on Ariel. But, um, but I think your, your guess, I think our guesses are correct, that it was probably more elaborate, and they simplified it in the end. Um, apparently, John Hughes had a, um, a hard time editing the final version of the film. And, and maybe they just, they really wanted to get it right, you know, so they, they did different versions. I would love to hear what Michael Kamen might have added to it, because um, he was so gifted. Mm-hmm. There's, um, speaking of different versions, Cecily, yes. have, you, have you put on your headphones to listen? Do you have the soundtrack version, by the way? I do not. I don't have the soundtrack version. The only version I have it, well, there's two versions of the song that I have. I have the sensual world version, and then there's the director's cut version, which I have kind of mixed feelings on, if I'm being very honest. Yeah, me too. Um, the reason, and we can talk about that in a minute, but 
the reason why I ask you about the soundtrack version and to those who are listening, if, if you're a true Kate fan and you have all these different versions, on the soundtrack version at 27 seconds in, there is this strange low female voice that says something. Um, I can't quite make out what it is that she's saying, or, or maybe it's a man's voice. I don't know. But it sounds like maybe it was something that they tried to erase that they didn't want in the final mix. But I've listened to it many times, and so your homework is to go find that 27 seconds in and see what you think <laughs> that voice is saying. It, the first time I heard it, it scared me because I thought somebody was in the room behind me while I had my headphones on. So I had to go back and re-listen, it, and it was on the recording, and it's not there on the Central World version. So anyway, but yeah, what about that director's cut version? So... I kind of have mixed feelings about the about director's cut in general. Um, the, it's okay to say you don't like it. I don't really. I, I I'm not as into it. No, because I always try to be nice. I really do. Like, because I, I mean, honestly, most I like pretty much everything that Kate has ever put out. Yes, I did earlier in the show. I was all like, oh my god, can or whatever. Actually, that song has grown on me. I'm like, you know what? It is. It is really like very tongue in cheek. Very cheeky, and you know what? She's having fun with it, so it's that one's grown on me. Are you the, talking about Ken? Yeah, I'm talking about Ken. Yeah, with his funky sex yeah, that's machine. A, that's a fun song. <laughs> it's exactly. Just fun. I'm sorry it took so long for you to, for it to grow on you, but I, I do enjoy that one. <laughs> well, but yeah, the the song so, on director's cut, especially this one, I'm like, why why mess with a a beautiful no, classic? I mean, on the one hand, I appreciate when artists take a song and they do their own thing with it like Tori Amos is awesome with doing that sometimes it comes out good and sometimes it doesn't but I digress there's kind of a reason that yes. Tori hasn't stuck with me as much as Kate has um yes. as far as the director's cut version I'm I'm missing the drama I like the drama I like the drama of this song and the intensity of it and I don't get the same kind of intensity from the director's cut version, I appreciate that she was trying to do something different. And I would love to know her thoughts on how this woman's work resonates with Kate these days, um, since she is a mother herself. In fact, yeah, I would love absolutely. to know her thoughts on any of her songs that mention that are that are about birth in some way, whether um, this song, this woman's work, or even earlier in her career with admittedly not a, not a favorite, but still mentions birth, Room for the Life. Like, what does she think mm -hmm. about these songs that are about this very human experience? And as far as the director's cut version, I appreciate that she was trying to do something different, but I it doesn't go, it doesn't, it feels like the drama's been sucked out of it. Yeah. I think part of it is something as simple as, as substituting an electric keyboard for a real piano. Um, there's something about the way the piano can reverberate. And plus on, on this track, there's a lot of reverb on it anyway. So it's mm -hmm. on the original version, you get this piano that fills up the room. And then on the director's cut with that uh, Rhodes kind of keyboard sound, it, it like sucks. There's no energy in it. It's all... It feels warm. I'll give her that. It feels very warm and, and comforting. But I think the key is lower. I think it's slower. And 
it just go. It feels like it goes on and on. Um, whereas when you listen to the original track, uh, it's it's four compact minutes of, as you said, emotion and levels and highs and lows. The director's cut is to me much more um, safe in some ways. It's warm, um, but safe. Maybe part of why Kate rearranged the song that, in that way for director's cut is because her voice is much lower and that she can't really do the big high belty stuff anymore that she could when she did this song when she was in her, I think she would have been 30 when this song mm-hmm. was written and when she did director's cut that she was f- 53, I want to say, 53. So your and your voice changes a lot, and certainly her voice did. And so I wonder if yeah. part of why she rearranged that song is because she can't really do the big high belty stuff anymore. And well, but why include it at all then? I mean, that's that's true. my my I wonder. Like maybe she thought it was a title that people knew and maybe would sell a few more records if they saw that she had re-recorded it. Who, who knows really? We don't, mm-hmm. her motivation for that album, she's talked about it a little bit. Um, but it was such a, I remember when it came out, cause didn't she have that released right along another, 
out new album of music some it was like within the same year wasn't it oh uh, well, the so central kind of surprise well the central world came out in october on october 16th 1989 and i mean a few years before she'd had the whole story that was in 1986 right but i'm talking about the director's cut when that came out it was oh. right around the same time another album yes that was at uh 50 words for snow wait no no you're right there was another one and why am i blanking i don't know why i'm blanking (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was it was 50 words for snow it was at the same year as 50 words for snow for some reason i thought the director's cut came out way earlier i don't know why (laughs) in 2011 (laughs) (laughs) But it was surprising, especially for us U.S. fans, because we hadn't heard, uh, you know, from her in a while. So then we get two in one year. <laughs> I know. Like we're back to 1979 yeah, almost. I, hey. I just wish I had liked Director's Cut overall um, more than I do. Because um, you never want to think your hero could do anything wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. And then they surprise you. It's like, well, okay, well, that's where you're at now. Let's hear another batch of new songs when you can. <laughs> also, I I wonder if part of the motivation for even doing director's cut and therefore reworking this woman's work, no pun intended, is because Kate doesn't tour. I feel like mm. this is something that maybe if you'd gone to see her live and you're watching the artists redo their songs and recreate them in some different way that you would have heard her doing this live or something. And because the rest of the songs on there have this like much more fuller jamming with the band in the same room kind of sound to them than they did originally. Yeah. I think um, the one song on there, I think that is an improvement is rubber band girl. I like both versions of that one, but, um, but you're, you're right. It's like if you went to see an artist live and they this was a hit they had 20 years ago and now they sing it a little slower and a little lower and you may want to have a remembrance of that. I, I could see that. Um, I just wish it was more successful overall for me. I just, it's not as her music is so passionate and interesting and dramatic. And I just found director's cut to, to not be uh, that. And she, she talked about uh, the red shoes being a record that sounds to her very brittle and that the recording sounds too bright the way it was mastered. Um, and that was her other reason for wanting to record those, those songs off the red to re-record the songs off the red shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she went, she even remastered her original version of the red shoes too. Eventually. Um, it's hard to get it right, I guess. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, with techno, the way that technology changes too. Absolutely, yeah, because between 10 or 20 years of music, Lord, there's been so many innovations, and um, you think she came before auto-tune. I'm sure she's using some of that on her record now, (laughs) but um, yeah, all that stuff that she created in the 70s, 80s, and 90s was before we had those pitch correction things, so her voice is just so amazing. Mm -hmm. And the way that the way that, and I always talk about this on the show, and I, I find it especially on this woman's work, that the way she uses it, the way that Kate uses her voice, it's 
it's almost like a musical theater singer in a way um, because mm -hmm. of like, because it feels like every time she's singing a word that she's thinking about how she's singing that word. Like, is she going to put a lot of vibrato on that or is she going to sing it very straight tone, which is and not a lot of things and most a lot of pop singers probably don't think about that. They just want everything to sound like nice and her, consistent. Um, but yeah, in her her first few records, for sure, it's it's so she's acting every word, and that's what makes this woman work. This woman's work, I think, even stronger is it, she's singing it like an actress. It's not mm -hmm. just a melody. Um, I was reflecting on the first page of music, and I wonder because Kate doesn't often do this, where she's got all those ahs and oohs. Um, I wonder if like that was originally supposed to be like a solo saxophone or a, a violin line or something. Wouldn't that have been different? I mean, it's just so unique that it's her voice, kind of like a lullaby, sort of. I don't know. You know, it does. Um, it, it does. It sounds like, because to me, I've always thought of it as like a coup, almost. And it, mm -hmm. it does sound like, almost like, like you're, like whenever I've babysat, when I was a teenager and I would babysit the kids across the street. And if they were really little, like really little, and you know, they weren't, if I had a little kid that wasn't going to sleep, and so I pick him up, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't know quite how to do with babies. I hope I won't break him or drop him or anything like that. I don't know how this thing works, but I'm just going to try and bounce them. And so, like, like I, I would, like, sit there like, cradling cradling the baby and, like, cooing and just making, like, soothing noises. And that's what I've always thought that the opening of this was supposed to yeah. be. Yeah, it really totally is, yeah. And I love the way that that melody itself is kind of developed throughout the song. Um, but, yeah, it's like a little lullaby at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So, have we, were there other things around the song that we haven't discussed? Um, I don't think so. I think we've talked about, I mean, we talked about our favorite lyrics. I mean, production-wise, this is it's pretty simple. <laughs> it's mostly yeah. Kate and the piano and a little bit of orchestra under her, but that could also be synthesizers because it was the eighties and I love eighties music and they love the synthesizers. That's part of why I still love eighties music. Um, yeah, we talked about the music video and the different versions and formats. I heard about this a couple of months ago or whenever the, okay. whenever the second season of the show came up um, people were talking about this in the Kate Bush Facebook groups I have not seen The Handmaid's Tale I know of it I have a friend who has the book and has read it but she's never seen the show but the song uh, this woman's work was used in the first episode of the second season of The Handmaid's Tale and I'm very curious yes, I went and watched it. oh okay so you watch it so my understanding of the, the world of the handsmaid's tale is that where you're in the future, it's this dystopia and people are not allowed to conceive. And when they are allowed to conceive that they have someone who uh, they have a woman who's brought in to live, live in the house with the couple. She doesn't even have a name. It's like of and then the name of the man that she's supposed to go and get and like bear the child for. And that's about it. That's my ex the extent of it. Mm. Uh, definitely go watch the video. There, there's some people who have just cut out that Katie's portion. 
Um, it is very compelling. I am not, uh, I have not watched the series itself and, uh, you just informed me of more than I knew about it to begin with, <laughs> but I will say, um, of course, because it's Kate, it's, it's going to be moving, but it feels a little, for those of us who know where it came from, it, it feels a little forced. I mean, if, if you don't know she's having a baby or you don't know Kate, you'll hear the beautiful piano. In fact, they extend the introduction. Um, I think they double the introduction and do just a verse and then jump to the end. Um, and it's these women all about to be hung together. There's, gosh, there's, it seems like there was 20 or 30 women all with nooses around their necks. And um, yeah, pretty dark. Um, and, and not at all of what, of course, the song uh, is really about, but maybe they were just, um, it, it talks about, I hope you can cope that first verse. So I, I guess they just thought the lyrics could work in this particular visual presentation. Um, okay. but wow. Yeah. It's, it's pretty special. You got to see it. It's very dark. Cause my understanding when I heard that the song was used in, uh, in that show, I'm going, wait, but that, and that's a song, this is a song about childbirth. Is that part of why they got drawn to it? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch so. after we're talking. So, you know, the um, I visited, Kate has an IMDb page, which I had not looked at in a while. And wow, the number of places that her music is being used that I wasn't even aware. Um, and, and not often credited. Uh, they'll let you know if it's credited or not um, in the IMDb listing. But um, yeah, this woman's work is one of her most, along with running up that hill, seems to be one of the ones that appears um, in TV and movie stuff the most. Mm-hmm. And even Under the Ivy was on there in a couple of things that I wasn't aware of. Because um, with that being a B-side, you know, people had to really love Kate to go and find that one. Well, if you got the Running Up That Hill single, you got that on the B-side. That is right. Now, have um, have you um, talked to folks about the B-sides on this um, Central World collection yet? I have, to, as of this recording, I have done a discussion of Walk Straight Down the Middle, and that's the only one so far. Okay. Well, I'd love to chat about a couple of those if you're looking for anybody. Be kind to my mistakes or... Yeah. Oh, I actually already did a Be Kind of My Mistakes. That one I put, I was curious about where to put that one, but I ended up putting that one in the Hounds of Love season because it came out in 1986, so it would have been before this one. Gotcha. Okay, I'll have to go back and listen. Now let me see which other one, because there's, I'm still waiting, which I, actually a lot of the B-sides I don't already have people for. Uh, but anyway, uh, call me if you if you need uh, somebody because uh, uh, I can help you out if you want to hear more Paul Kate ramblings. <laughs> well, that's half the fun of doing a podcast. It's, to, it's the point is to ramble. Those are some of my favorite podcasts when they just kind of go off and they just ramble. Like that's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here on the show today. Yay! You are welcome. It was my pleasure.
Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Well, we've made it through another album. We're done. That was the last one. My goodness. And what a song to end this album on. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I have to say while I was editing this episode, I was trying very hard to keep it together a little bit because in the months since this was recorded and everything else that's been going on in my life, the song is hitting me a little bit harder than it was before. Okay. Anyway. So, all right. Happy stuff. Happy stuff. Well, ooh, happy stuff. Well, there are B-sides. Ooh, yay. More Kate Bush. Of course, there's always more Kate Bush. There's going to be more Kate Bush to talk about in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start talking about B-sides and collaborations. And we're going to start with Walk Straight Down the Middle. And that one I've already recorded. Just need to edit it and everything. Speaking of B-sides, there are lots of different ways that you guys can be a part of the show, such as also being on the show. If you are a fan of any of the following Sensual World Era songs, please feel free to hit me up on the socials, which I'll give you in just a moment. If you're a fan of any of these, I'm Still Waiting, The Confrontation, The King is Dead, which was a song with Go West, Sister and Brother by Major, and Once by Roy Harper. So if you're a fan of any of those songs, feel free to hit me up in either of these places. You can either email me, katebushpodcast at gmail.com, you can call the hotline 1-757-349-6369 and you can leave a message and your message can be played on a future episode. Woo! Everybody loves that. You can also follow me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. Lots of different ways that you guys can be involved. Also, you can be a Patreon supporter. You can go to patreon.com slash Podcast, and we've got extra goodies for your support of the show. So lots of different ways that you guys can be a part of the show, and I'm really looking forward, I'm always looking forward to talking about all the kind of the lesser known songs that we all love and enjoy, and that deserve to be heard by an even wider audience. So that's what we're going to be doing, going on to the B-Sides of Collaborations. Next time we're going to take a walk straight down the middle. We're going to see everybody then, and to take us out this week is the Echoes remix of This Woman's Work, which you heard earlier in the episode and here. So we're gonna let this take us away. See everybody next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.